Lights. You are listening to This Week in Marvel, and I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink, purveyor of all things cinnamon buns. (laughs) (laughs) And new queen of Florida. Oh, boy. Yeah, we're in Florida. How's the good old Nueva York doing? It's doing okay. My daughter turned uh, six months old this week, which is a big deal. My little really good. Uh, we'll talk more about things going on in our lives this week. But, you know, of course, on This Week in Marvel, we always talk about what's happening in Marvel this week. Whether it's games, comics, movies, toys, TV, whatever. So let's see. What's happening this week? Uh, this is really cool. Marvel Unlimited the subscription service that Ryan and I use constantly to do all of our research and also to just read fun things that we're into now has a Marvel Unlimited free program hitting this week. If you're spending more time at home, you're looking for some entertainment or distraction, there's more time to dive in with a whole bunch of free comics. Um, They're going to be adding new ones each month. I mean, it's also cool because a lot of the titles they've chosen are things that are just sort of must-reads. If you haven't read them yet, you should definitely check them out. There's newer stuff, older stuff, so it's a great amalgam of things. Yeah, I was kind of surprised at the, the breadth of this list. It's huge, and it's really exciting. Like, off the top, Avengers versus X-Men, all 13 issues of the main series. So it's 0 and then 1 through 12. I haven't read it maybe in like five years or more, maybe even since it came out. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I that actually makes me feel really, really nostalgic to when I first started working for Marvel because it was one of the first big events that I got to spend a lot of time with and cover. And so it's very near and dear to my heart. Um, also, Civil War, one of the biggest events, I think, that continues to rock the Marvel Universe. We've seen it even be inspiration for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So you definitely, definitely want to read that. Um, there are so many moments in that where you're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, some moments that are relevant to what we're going to be talking about later, uh, which is going to be about teens and stuff like that. There's some cool um, Young Avengers moments, particularly in Civil War. Uh, there's Amazing Spider-Man Red Goblin, which was the the final arc by Dan Slott on Amazing Spider-Man. And that one is, that's a humdinger. That's a, a real good one. Oh, also Black Panther by Ta-Nehisi Coates, which... I mean, he is just one of the most prolific writers of our time. I think he is a really important writer for our time. And his run of Black Panther feels so special and so amazing in the Marvel Universe. And I I feel like it was just one of those things where people were like, oh, snap, comics. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And that's 12 issues of his run. I mean, his run is something like 50 issues somewhere in there. So the first volume. Yeah, which is really, really cool. Then um, Thanos Wins by Donny Cates, which is neat because you get the the sort of the, the storyline that he did in the Thanos series from 2016 plus the annual. So there you get like six issues uh, or seven issues of really great Thanos stuff that introduced Cosmic Ghost Rider. Yeah, I love Cosmic Ghost Rider. He has a little spot on my desk. X-Men Milestones, Dark Phoenix Saga is going to be there. Everybody loves Dark Phoenix Saga. We did a huge talk on it uh, earlier this year. or Oh, my God, almost a year ago now. Wow. I, that's crazy. <laughs> Time goes way too fast. <laughs> but if you want to go dig back uh, towards, I think, May of uh, 2019, uh, you can listen to us do a big deep dive talk on that, and then you can read it along with us. And that uh, includes Uncanny X-Men 129 to 137, which is the main sweet juice for the Dark Phoenix saga. Yeah. Uh, And then I think everybody's excited for 
Kree and Skrull activity. So we have Avengers Kree Skrull War, which is issues 89 through 97 of the original Avengers run. And that was from the late 60s, early 70s. Those issues, nine of them in total. There's some cool Neil Adams art. It gets weird. Rick Jones is all over that business. (laughs) That is the one thing I know about Rick Jones is he is all over that business. Um, (laughs) Oh, also, there's going to be Avengers by Jason Aaron. That's the first six issues of his run titled The Final Host. But Jason Aaron on the Avengers, you know, if you love his work on Thor and you've never read his Avengers run or any of his other work, this is just delightful because he gets to play with all of the toys. Giant Celestials. They end up living inside a Celestial. You have to read this run to find out how. Uh, there's four issues of the current Fantastic Four series, which I did go over those again uh, this week. Those are really great. It's Dan Slott and Sarah Pichelli and then um, Stefano Caselli. Those are great because they like bring every member of the Fantastic Four ever together to face uh, the Griever, a new villain. There's great little moments. It's heartwarming. It's really special. Then there's Black Widow, Volume 1, Shields Most Wanted by Mark Wade and Chris Somney. Beautiful art. I love their work from Daredevil. If you love that run and you haven't read this Black Widow run, I highly recommend it. It's got lots of action and espionage. And um, and the Black Widow is looking for the weeping lion. Aww. It, it's not as cute as it sounds. Have you been watching Tiger King? Of course I've been watching Tiger King. What? I am a person. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, it's... A lot. Uh, Let's keep moving on because we've got Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Uh, We're going to get 13 issues of that original Winter Soldier storyline. So it's 1 through 9 and then 11 through 14. Number 10 was a, if I remember correctly, was a House of M tie-in. So we don't want anybody who's reading it to get confused. It's sort of irrelevant to the Winter Soldier storyline. But this is great. It's dark and it's hugely influential on the MCU. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of which, also Captain Marvel, higher, further, faster. The first six issues of that run are uh, included also. I mean, I know that I felt like this was such a special run when it came out. It also has largely influenced the MCU and Carol Danvers' character, you know, Carol Danvers has always been a really, really kickbutt character, but I feel like this was her moment that she really took shape in a different way. And it's not just Jamie McKelvey's flight suit, which is dope, but it, I mean, her character look, I think, has never been better, in my personal opinion. I mean, I love the OG uh, naval window costume, but <laughs> I really feel like um, this whole run, and even further into it, is is just so cool. It really goes into her history and her tie to the military. It's really great. Yeah. And um, if you are watching Marvel Studios' Captain Marvel while you're home, maybe you'll see the writer, Kelly Sue DeConnick, in, uh, in a little cameo in the movie. Yeah, that's right, suckers. But yeah, as Lorraine said, there's going to be more added as we go along. These are some that are up right now. So... Stay tuned. It's really cool. This, again, is Marvel Unlimited free comics for you to read and enjoy and uh, dig back into. Yeah, you should download the app. It's on iOS and Android. And then you just click free comics on the opening screen and get on in. Just dive in headfirst. Speaking of diving in headfirst, if you haven't caught up with Marvel's Hero Project, you can now watch the full season on Disney+. Plus. All the episodes are up there. Um, and there's lots of cool uh, ancillary materials that we've posted on Marvel.com. There's little bits and pieces. There's the comics that are part of the whole Hero Project that are available to read as you go through. It is 
heartwarming and it is uh proof that the youngest generation coming up right now are going to do some amazing things i know there it's such a nice watch right now too because it's so heartwarming it's just kids doing really amazing things in their community oh also another cool thing is you know each kid gets a custom comic that's about themselves and you can read all of them on marvel.com so you can fully see them and also they're all accessible so if you are sight impaired you can listen to the comics or even if you just want to listen to them because you love a podcast you do because you're listening to a podcast (laughs) (laughs) and you can watch those all streaming on disney plus whenever you want at your leisure ryan what's up with this week's episode of marvel's pull list what what you pulling out we did a really fun episode where we did an infinity gauntlet reading club dive into the six issue series tucker and i went through it we brought in a lot of fan commentary and favorite moments and talked a lot about like the art the storytelling the perspective of what was going on at the time there's a a whole bunch of stuff that I found that George Perez, the artist on the book, talked about about his contributions to the series, along with the other artist, Ron Lim. So that's our episode of Marvel's Pullist this week. You can get it wherever you get your audio. You can subscribe. And then we have a video version on uh, Marvel.com that is also cool. It's about some books on Marvel Unlimited. So uh, yeah, Marvel's Pullist still rolling along and uh, very exciting. Yeah. Infinity Gauntlet is I mean, it's a classic. It's so good. That Starlin loveliness is just chef's kiss. It's also um, just a a note. If you do reread it when you listen to the show, uh, anyone out there, it's a very bleak book. Yeah. No, it's not a happy story. There's a moment in issue one when Thanos does the snap and regular civilians start, they, they blink out of existence and there's a woman with her baby and they're watching a television the snap happens she turns around her baby's gone and i it just destroyed me no a guy who's obsessed with death not like um a joyous tale by by any stretch of the imagination (laughs) no but you know you you enjoy the excitement of the ride and it's devastatingness And if you want to sign up for that Marvel Unlimited subscription or if you, hey, want to go buy the Infinity Gauntlet Saga, we have a great way that you can do that and get rewarded with the Marvel MasterCard. You can learn more at marvelmastercard.com slash TWIM. Yeah, of course, you get your 3% cash back on uh, certain restaurants. You earn 1% cash back on all your other purchases and you get your cash back paid as a statement credit. So there's no limit on what you can earn all with no annual fee. Of course, as Lorraine mentioned, there's the Marvel Unlimited Park, which with the Marvel MasterCard, you get a three month free subscription to Marvel Unlimited and you get to choose your card from one of six awesome card designs and you can start earning right away. Yeah, that's a great deal, especially right now. Get on that Marvel Unlimited of course, terms and conditions apply. You can visit marvelmastercard.com slash twim to learn more and apply now. That's marvelmastercard.com slash T-W-I-M. All right. So we want to get into the big meat and potatoes of this episode, which is all about Marvel's young slash teen teams. I think I was slightly surprised by how many people got excited because I put out a tweet that said, hey, what's your favorite Marvel Comics young slash teen team and why is it Runaways, Generation X, Young Avengers, Power Pack? There's so many more. We got, I'm still getting responses. And so our wonderful producers, Persia and Zachary, have been putting together a, a, a little bit of a tally of all this, of the people who've been responding. 
far and away, according to the tally that we have, Young Avengers got the most responses. They're the jam. They're great. I mean, Young Avengers, such a good book. Yeah. New Mutants was very high up there, but probably like half as many as Young Avengers. Runaways was similar to New Mutants. Champions was similar to Runaways. Generation X, I was happy to see, got a, a decent number. Uh, yeah. New X-Men got a couple. And New X-Men, which is like the Academy X sort of group coming out of that time period. Not the leather and, you know, attitudes of Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely. Uh, the New X-Men team of like Anole and Landslide and... Uh, and Rockslide and a whole bunch of other characters. Of course, Avengers Academy is in there, which I had a lot of fun rereading some of those issues. Um, really, really good. I have so many feelings about Avengers Academy because I fell so in love with them and then ugh, they just were demolished. Just, <laughs> hey, did you fall? Did you spend like several volumes falling in love with some characters? Gonna ruin it for you now. It's done. Yeah. Um, we saw we had a vote for the initiative, which is sort of like the precursor to Avengers Academy. Oh, yeah. And I was a little bummed to see only a, a small number of votes for New Warriors. New Warriors, especially that like the first fifty issues of the '90s series. Oh, it's so good. Oh my gosh, it's so good. So hopefully, after you listeners hear this, you'll want to check out that New Warriors run and pretty much all the books that we're going to talk about in this episode. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Honestly, it was really fun because like looking through this, these are the books that I feel like I am the most intimate with. And I was like, oh, man, because I'm like a YA like stan. So these are my favorite things. If you love YA, oh, baby, it is a mm, delight. Yeah, we're going to get into those, all those books we mentioned um, as we get further into this talk. But part of why we're talking about this is because is it cool that teens are fighting crime? Lorraine, where do you stand on it? Well, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily the best thing for a teenager to do. But I also think that we let 18 year olds join the army and the military. So can you really dictate what somebody does after they're 18? I don't think so. Do I want a 13-year-old running out to protect me? No, go home. <laughs> Hard stance. Hard stance. Get, get out of the streets, you kids, and, and just go do a homework. Yeah, Go do a homework. That should be the, the motto for the new organization that is trying to police teens, because that's what's going on right now. Right now, we have a few new books starring younger heroes, uh, especially these teen teams. And when we say teen teams... That's because it, it sounds kind of fun. The age ranges for our teams that we're going to be talking about go from like five years old. I think one of the Powers kids, she's like five at one oh, point. Oh, yeah, when they first start. Yeah, to then they're in, the, you know, some teams have folks in their early 20s. But that's that's all young, you know, especially to us. We're olds. Yeah, we are definitely old. Ooh, can um, we name our organization to not have children fighting crime called Get Off My Lawn? <laughs> Gommel? G-O- I don't know why that makes me feel like a Sandman. Gobble. Gah, 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 gah. Uh, yeah, Gobble will be the, the civilian side of Cradle. Cradle is the actual organization that is uh, sort of stopping the teens from getting out there right now, which is important because this all comes out of Outlawed Number 1, which is uh, available now. You can read that. It's by Eve Ewing and Kim Jacinto. And um, that sort of sets up 
this new paradigm. The whole book kicks off with a Senate hearing involving the champions, and we learn how they got to this point because the champions got into a big mess, and some people blame them. Some people are like, hey, they're just kids, and then the other people are like, yeah, they're just kids. They shouldn't be doing this. So um, that sparks a whole bunch of things in comics right now. Well, see, that's where I'm torn. Like in real life, would I want a five-year-old running out to save me? Absolutely not. But like in a comic book, that's exactly what I want. Like as far as the story goes, because, you know, I think we see a lot of established superheroes that are like, today I fight, but it's so fun seeing being a superhero through fresh eyes of somebody who doesn't have any experience and is messing up all the time. Um, But there's going to be so many cool other books that are going to touch this outlawed storyline because there are a lot of teenage superheroes. So we also have New Warriors by Daniel Kibblesmith, Luciano Vecchio. uh, That's coming soon. So we're going to see some new heroes and some old new warriors, some new warriors and some new new warriors, maybe. Yeah, Uh, we've got a new Power Pack series, which we, you know, we mentioned Ryan North is writing that with Nico Leone. The first issue really sets up who they are so that you don't have to, if you've never read a Power Pack comic, this is going to completely tell you who they are. Um, And then stuff is going to happen, but I feel like everything's a spoiler. So like just then stuff is going to (laughs) happen. Yeah, it's going to be wonderful. Uh, We also have a new champion series by Eve Ewing and Simone DiMeo, which uh, that's also coming soon. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh, and then Hellions um, issue number one is out right now by Zeb Wells and Stefan Segovia. Uh, has Havoc, Orphan Maker, Nanny, Wild Child, Empath, Scalp Hunter. It's just a whole bunch of troublemakers together (laughs) in Krakoa. And they don't have a great moral compass. No. Uh-oh. Of course, there's New Mutants and there's other books. But let's start talking about this because I I like the idea of having this discussion of like teens getting involved in this. You you think about it. Oh, you want to stop kids from being out there and and getting involved in fighting crime and being superheroes. But imagine if that happened to Spider-Man when he was just starting out. He was like 15 when he got bitten, Mm -hmm. you know, Peter Parker. And if somebody was like, hey, kid, don't do this. It's too dangerous. What would the Marvel Universe be like without Spider-Man? No, Ryan, that's such a good point because, you know, Spider-Man kicked off in 1962 in Amazing Fantasy 15. And that was the beginning where we really saw a teenager, not as a sidekick, but truly as the hero in their own story. And it really, I think, emboldened a very large fan base. I think a lot of, you'd see the sidekick who was kind of like, what if I, you know, hung out with Captain America? But you never got to be like, oh, what if I were a hero? And what if that were my experience? And and on top of that, the evolution of storytelling in comics that sort of had a more human appeal, this was kind of like the beginning of YA and the beginning of teen heroes. And I think a, an important, important cornerstone in the Marvel Universe. So what's better than one teenage superhero how about just like a whole gob ton of them gob ton oh a gob ton yeah yeah i I think uh what's really fun now let's get into some of these teens um what makes them cool we'll maybe throw in some story recommendations because we actually have a great history yeah when i was thinking about this originally i was like this will be cool we'll have a couple like maybe like five to talk about and i think about our distinguished competition they have a they also have a really great rich history of teen teams and then i was as i was putting this together i was like oh man our bench is deep with this and it goes all the way back to the young allies this is the og for marvel 
created by Joe Simon, Jack Kirby, and written early on by Stan Lee. They, they were first called the Sentinels of Liberty, but it was Bucky and four non-powered teen friends, just, just, just children, you know, like they're just like little Yeah, baby. they were really kind of just children. Yeah. And they're battling Axis enemies in 1941. And the, the name was quickly changed to the Young Allies. But Lorraine, they were so dangerous. It's terrifying because they're like, <laughs> no, it's the two of them. They're just children. And they're regular children. Four children. Just four children getting themselves in the hot water. Like I saw a bunch of comics where the kids are just like tied up and about to be killed. Yeah. Numerous times. Yeah. Literally, it's like, hey, what if we brought a bunch of vulnerable children with us to constantly be in peril? Why not? <laughs> sure. Um, but that's the fun of it, you know, to be on the be, be along for the ride. Uh, if you're a kid reader, you know, and a lot of kids were reading comics at that point. Yeah. We just talked about Spider-Man a little bit, which takes us up to about 1962. So what happens in 1963? The uncanny X-Men, baby. The original five, Cyclops, Jean Grey, Beast, Iceman, and Angel were all in their late teens. And in their early days, we're studying with Charles Xavier. I love that issue one where Jean Grey shows up and all the boys are like, a girl. (laughs) And then she's like, hold up, jerks. And she like levitates them away. She's like, not today. I am the most powerful. Um, But the main squad aged up over time, and they've generally mostly been adults. But other teens have also been members of the X-Men at different times. Of course, Kitty Pride, Charles Xavier is a jerk, uh, (laughs) Jubilee and her mall goodness. But, you know, the X-Men really remain unique because they were born mutants. They're persecuted. They're feared. And that, I think, really goes with the teen experience is feeling very other and feeling very vulnerable. And so I think it makes sense that, you know, that goes well together with the X-Men. Also, I think it's fun that the uncanny X-Men, you know, those early teen days later get to become the all-new X-Men also. So they're kind of the same because it's their early day selves in the more modern Marvel universe. Um, Unfortunately, you know, it's teens being told to fight adults by a bald guy who creeps in their brains all the time. But, you know... That's yeah, fine. That's a little questionable. <laughs> yeah, Charles Xavier, uh, definitely a heel. Yeah, <laughs> yep. Uh, hot take from us. We both agree on that one. One of my suggestions for, you know, if you wanted to read X-Men as like a teen group, X-Men Season 1 by Dennis Hopeless and Jamie McKelvey is a great retelling of the original group's early days. Jamie did great redesigns for the whole, for their outfits and everything. That's available on Marvel Unlimited. All right, so as I was thinking about this, I was like, There's so many that fall into the X-Men because in the 60s, we had the X-Men as this teen group. And then you start to think of other generations needing this. And so in the 80s, we got the New Mutants, which is the next generation of students. They were introduced so Professor X could basically do his thing with the new generation of mutants as the older team was going on, doing their stuff, getting into terrible, terrible danger in different ways. The original New Mutant squad is Sunspot, Cannibal, Mirage, Karma, and Wolfsbane, which is so much fun. You can see that they've been Avengers. They've been all over the place. You also had Kitty Pride in the book. Not totally fully on the team at all times, but the roster then like continue to expand. You get Magma, Warlock, who is one of my all-time favorite Marvel characters, Cypher, who has got one of my all-time favorite powers, which is just the ability to understand every language. Just like that's yeah. his mutant ability. It's my favorite. Uh, and then, of course, Magic. She's the best. Those characters, those members have been in all kinds of teams over time. And in terms of like a story to read, I have to say Demon Bear Saga, which starts in New Mutants oh, number yeah. 18. And that's when the book 
sort of started to differentiate itself and give it like a tone that was separate from anything else. It got weird. It got dark. Fans really glommed onto it. You have Bill Sienkiewicz coming in to do the artwork, which is just unlike anything else. (laughs) You know what I really love about the New Mutants, I think in the greater Marvel universe, is that it's a perfect marriage between giant size X-Men and the uncanny X-Men now told in the 80s. So they have the internationalness of the giant size X-Men, you know, just like in that first issue one, how they picked up Storm and Nightcrawler and all those guys from across the world. Then they basically said, okay, well, we're going to get like Wolfsbane from Scotland and we're going to go pick up Bobby DaCosta down south and we're going to bring everybody together. But then it also revisited those teen years because when we did giant size X-Men, those were all adult-ish characters. So this is really like a cool marriage between the two of them. And then you have the 80s grittiness. Um, So it's a darker feeling book. It's like a little bit more emotional and um, deals with the realism of the peril they're in in a different way. Yeah, I mean, there's there's talk of like mental illness, of uh, abuse, of like relevant topics that the readership would associate, especially as they matured felt of the time in the best way possible. You know, you talk about the New Mutants, let's take it even a little bit darker because you have the Hellions who were the New Mutants rivals at the time. They're another teen team of mutants who attended Emma Frost Massachusetts school. So it's like Charles Xavier's over here is like, rah, 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 I got my students. And Emma's like, rah, 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 I got my students. And my favorite part of it is it feels so 1980s. You get like this 1980s team movie where on one side you got like the rival school, yeah. you know, and it's like the two of them are just like constantly at each other. It, and- it's the it's the rich kids across the lake. Yeah, totally. In every like 80s camp movie. <laughs> yeah, it's so much fun. Unfortunately, the entire team was slaughtered brutally in the early 90s, which still like haunts me to this day. You know what's really funny is you think of Emma Frost as kind of being like a jerk for starting this school and she's essentially doing the exact same things Charles Xavier has been doing forever. It's just that she is a little bit more forward with that she's terrible. Look, I'm a I'm a big Emma Frost fan. I'm like, you know what? Emma just wanted to help train kids. Look, Emma versus Charles, I am team Emma all the way. Listen, It's like, who's the least worst? Which in that case, if it's between Charles and Emma, I would, I would go Emma because at least, what, what is it? She's not two facing it. That's why he's got that bald head. Cause there's another face on the back of his head. That's like, I fight children for fun. Voldemort style. Yeah. 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 You get it. Uh, all right. There's a little team called the Exterminators. So you had the five original X-Men. They formed X-Factor. They were secretly helping mutants, even though publicly everybody thought they were hunting mutants down. During that time, the X-Factor team cared for a little team called the Exterminators. Featured Artie, Leech, Boom Boom, Richter, Rusty, Skids, and WizKids. I find this really interesting because... What a bunch of names. Those names are great. The team name is one of my favorites of all time. Exterminators is such a cool name. But they're like, they're only around for a short time. They're a little footnote in mutant history, but Boom Boom and Richter go on to join the New Mutants. They go on to join X-Force. They become X-Men. Rusty, um, he turns into a villain. Skids becomes a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Uh, I don't remember what happens to WizKid, but Artie and Leech go on to be part of the Future Foundation. Like, this little team 
germinated into so many other pieces in the Marvel Universe that I thought it was really interesting. Even as a small group for the X-Men, they became so much more. I know. I don't really think of them as being exterminators. I think of them as their their later iterations. But that is such a good point. Such a good little breeding ground for great characters. Yeah. Speaking of great characters, Generation X, which is so if the New Mutants were the like the teen mutant team of the 80s, Generation X was that for the 90s. And you have Emma Frost once again coming forward with the Massachusetts Academy. She's joined by Banshee, their co-headmasters of the school, which is now more closely tied to Xavier's school. But they're teaching this generation of mutants. And it was not as dark in a lot of ways as the New Mutants. It was punchier, it was poppier, a little bit less melodramatic, more 90s extreme, but also felt very real in the teen dynamics. I think that is something I saw a lot from fans who like stand for for Generation X. They were like, yes, yes, yes. And the team included Jubilee, who we've talked about already. Alongside you have Chamber, who's a brooding, you know, British emo boy. You've got Mondo, Chamber, Husk, Skin, Sink, Penance, and more. And now some of those characters are super integral into what's going on on Krakoa. So again, it's really cool to see these little teams yeah. germinate into, into much more. And if, you know, just wrapping up the X-Men, there's a young X-Men team. There's the new X-Men Academy X. It's kind of neat just seeing how many X groups have bubbled up with teens. You know, there's there's just, you could kind of keep going. You find little pockets where these groups pop up. So I, I love seeing all the mutants uh, throughout this discussion. Oh, but we got to talk about the Power Pack, Ryan. The Power Pack. Power Pack. Uh, Power Pack is not technically a teen team. It's a kid team, really. Uh, started in the 1980s run. And since they were all under 13, they were introduced a bit more like these extraordinary fun kids who had wild adventures and it was like a little less brooding and a little less dangerous and a little bit more bright sparkly magic fun time of course including julie alex jack and katie as we mentioned before who are the power kids and they created the power pack i <laughs> i love their origin story which is basically they got a they got a bunch of different powers their powers belong to this uh space horse alien guy they tried to aid him when he was trying to fight some evil space lizard aliens and when he went on to the great beyond he passed out his powers to them and so now like julie flies in a rainbow and Jack changes his density and all of these things. So there's just like a lot of great little things that they can do. And the original stories are just full of great adventures. There's just been numerous mini series featuring these characters over the years. And also I love Julie popping into the runaways. She had a, a brief moment with Carolina Dean, which I personally loved because I'm like, yes, two rainbow gals loving it. But they've, they've had some really great moments. I know you love the one with Thor and the Warriors 4. Oh my gosh. I will stand by that book all the time, every time. It's so much fun. It's so cute. It works so well, as especially as an all ages read. I did want to point out two tweets I saw. One was from at Julie Power fan. This is a, a fan account for Julie Power Lightspeed, the rainbow character. She said, Power Pack, they are underrated. More people should give them a chance and they will be surprised to discover how those comics aren't just for kids. They do really get into a lot of authentic and real child experiences, kid experiences, some danger, some drama. There is a lot of adventure and fun, but at the same time, the way that Louise Simonson and, and um, June Brigman like put this together, it felt so real. And then Chris Yost, who um, Chris Yost 
we talked about him recently. He's one of the writers on The Mandalorian. He wrote a lot of Marvel cartoons. He wrote uh, a run of New Warriors, which we'll talk about in a bit. But his reply to me was, all of these answers that aren't Power Pack are amusing. <laughs> so he's he's a big Power Pack fan, as is our guest, Mr. Ryan North. Yes, we're going to have Ryan North coming up right here in a moment. Uh, he is, of course, the new writer of Power Pack. Also, Ryan North has had an amazing run on Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. He's really, I think, taken that character from being a, a sideline joke to being a real touchstone in the Marvel Universe. And uh, he is a member of the Tall Ginger Club, the TGC. He might be the president, honestly, because he's the tallest ginger I know. He's like 6'6 or something. Hi, Ryan. Hi. Thank you for acknowledging the Tall Ginger Club. It's hard to get acknowledgement on that. Of course. So, Power Pack, it's back. Yes. What was your desire to get to work on this book? Why do you love the Power Pack kids? I mean, the, the book came out in 1983, I think. The first Power Pack issues. And I, would, I came out in 1980. <laughs> and so there's like a connection there. I feel like you feel a connection with these fictional characters, even though you'd never met them before. So when uh, Sarah, Sarah Brunstad, the editor, was like, hey, I want to do this Power Pack miniseries. Would you be interested? I was like, absolutely, I would be interested. I have no follow-up questions. Please let me write this. <laughs> so it, it's sort of, it, it's a simple origin, I guess. So were you, were you a Power Pack reader growing up? Did you follow? Because they their series went on for, gosh, it's like six or seven years, maybe a little bit more. And they did so much. And the, the series was so, I think, influential for a lot of readers at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, I read no Power Pack comics growing up because I read no comics at all growing up. Because I lived in this really rural area before the internet, and there wasn't a comic book store nearby. You couldn't get comic books. And so my my comics career, my comics reader career started when I got a job. And then with my first paycheck, went into the big city to the comic book store there and just bought books at random. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, it's something that um, I came to late, but I came to everything late. So I don't, I don't feel any, uh, any shame about that. No shame whatsoever, no matter what. No shame. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think so many people are so familiar with your truly incredible run on Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. And I think that's something that to be said of your your style. It seems to have a ton of heart, a ton of humor. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I'm curious how that may be brought into the Power Pack Kids. Obviously, you know, young people <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with superpowers. So, so a similar vibe. But um, will we see more of that trademark North quirkiness and joy uh yeah i'm gonna say yes because that sounds pretty good to me <laughs> i have actually i've written all five issues already now i feel like squirrel girl uh, doreen green is she herself is a funny person and the book was a funny book power pack there's comedy in it but it's less of a comedy book in the way that squirrel girl was but it's, it's got all the heart and then some uh the, the great thing about writing young characters teenagers and even younger is that when you're at that age, things are often so clear and it's so easy to be just fully committed to what you're doing and committed, giving, giving your all to whatever you're doing, which is great. Like that, that enthusiasm and that commitment uh, is really fun to write. and It's really great to see. And the other thing I like about the kids so much is that they are such different people, but they're family. And that gives you sort of the, the ghetto jail free card for why would these characters hang out together? Because they're, they're brothers and sisters. Like, they're going to do it. 
even though they might clash with each other, even though they love each other. Like, I'm never going to write a story in which the characters hate each other because they love each other. They're great brothers and sisters. But they have uh, conflict, and they they find a way forward together, which is fun. Do you have siblings? I have one sibling, uh, my brother Victor. And when we were younger, we squabbled a lot more. We're older now. He has kids <laughs> of his own. And so, like, we're we're friends, like adult friends now. But when we were kids, it was a lot of uh, squabbling and who's the best and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm, I'm deeply familiar with how siblings are with each other. <laughs> so which of the siblings are most like you and Richter's relationship? It's kind of Jack and Alex, I think. It's funny, writing the book, each of the five issues is told from the point of view of a different character. And the first four issues are one of the different members of the power pack. And every time I started with Katie, she has the first issue. Every time I wrote an issue with these characters, I thought, this is my favorite character. Katie's the best. I should just write the whole <laughs> thing from Katie's point of view. And then the next issue is from Alex's point of view. And then I finished that. I'm like, no, Alex is the best character. I should have done this from Alex's point of view the whole way. And then I hit Julie and thought the same thing. And Jack the same way. So it was really gratifying to have these characters and keep falling in love with them in sequence. <laughs> And be like, no, this one is the best ever. There's no duds on this team, which I think is important. <laughs> Power pack, no, no duds, duds, 2020. <laughs> From your perspective, you, know, you you just talked about how much you enjoyed writing each character. Can you give our listeners a little explanation from the way you see them, who these characters are, and you know what about them that you like so much? Yeah, um, I mean, describing them... Oh, I sound like such an artist when I say like, you're, you're describing them, you, you lose so much of their essence, they cannot be reduced, but I will do it. Um, <laughs> at the very highest level, in the same way that you say might say like Doreen Green is caring, I would say Jack is courage, Julie is smart, Alex is leadership, and Katie is fun. But that's just like, that's one word for each person. And I, I spent you know, my entire high school career insisting that I could never be boiled down to one word because I'm such a unique individual. <laughs> and so to now do that to even a fictional character is sort of like, there's more to them than that. Uh, but that, that's that's sort of the starting point for them. I love Katie so much because I'm a little sister. And so there's some oh. part of me that was like, yeah, Katie, I feel you, girl. Like, <laughs> I, I understand what's going on. Everybody's big. You're small. I get yeah. it. You know, they're going to be going through something interesting with Outlaw happening. How is that, without spoiling too much for what's the future of the series, how will that come into play in this run? Right. Well, the main thing is that they've been separated in canon for, for quite a while. Alex and Julie have been off having space adventures, effectively. And Jack and Katie have kind of been left at home on Earth. So part of the fun is that they're, they're back together uh, for the first time, both for Marvel readers and for the characters themselves. And they're sort of having to uh, figure out what that means and what their relationships look like. And then they go out to, to fight some crime. And it turns out there's this uh, new law that says you can't have kids going out and beating people up, <laughs> which came as a surprise to them because they, they don't follow the news. And that, that leads them into uh, needing to find a mentor. And uh, we have this fun sequence where they try a bunch of different Marvel superheroes sort of like a training sequence, a training montage, but it's a find a trainer montage. And uh, we get to see some some fun cameos there. And then that's as far as I'll go because I don't want to explain the whole story because it's really good. Yeah. We've only got to read issue one, but it is 
a delight. Yeah, I, I love the idea of the cameos because that was one of the things that I loved about the original Power Pack is they felt such an important part of the Marvel Universe. I mean, Franklin Richards eventually is part of the team. He becomes almost a part of the family. They're always interacting mm-hmm. with the X-Men or, you know, the other superheroes. Even though they were kids, they felt like a real living part of the Marvel Universe and something that got respect and got, you know, attention from the other characters. Yeah, I think, I'm not sure if this is just a characteristic of Marvel, because I also found that writing Squirrel Girl, where it felt like she exists in this universe as a real person and as an essential part of it. And having that be my experience twice, uh, maybe it it always happens that way, or maybe I've just (laughs) been lucky. But yeah, these these characters feel not... um, not like they've just been added in or they're these also rands, but like this is a this is a universe that makes sense around them. And it also happens to be the Marvel universe with all these these cool characters in it that we can, you know, take out of the toy chest and play with if we want to. So, you know, that's interesting. I'm curious, especially in the greater Marvel universe, you know, this week we're talking a lot about teen teams. Mm-hmm. What is it about the power pack? Um, this is a hard essay question, Great. so go with me. <laughs> <laughs> But what is it about Power Pack, do you feel, that um, sort of sets them apart from other teen teams in your mind? I think it is the family dynamic of it, which I sort of touched on before, because they have this kind of an unbreakable bond to 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 be together. And that is something that you can't really take away from them. Like, there, there's no... You can't have an issue where the power pack break, breaks up and have that be really credible because they, they're going to see each other at dinner tonight. <laughs> there's no <laughs> there's no going your own ways, which gives it this this sort of distinct flavor of we're stuck with we're we're not stuck with each other, but we're we're going to be with each other no matter what through thick and thin. Like that's that's what this family dynamic is. And that gives them a sort of a unique twist and flavor that that I really like. Yeah, love a good family story. Uh, Ryan, thanks so much for joining us, talking a little bit about Power Pack. Uh, can't wait to see it. And also, Nico Leon. Mwah. Oh, can we talk? About, okay, I need to mention the art he's doing because it is insane. It is, uh, when I saw his pencils for the first issue, I then rewrote the second and third issue to make it have more room for these amazing visuals. <laughs> it's the first time I've done that where I'm like, this, I need to do better because this guy <laughs> is is knocking this out of the park and I don't want to look like I'm not carrying my weight. It's just been so incredible to get these pages back and they're, they're even better than I imagined. It's going to be a really beautiful book and a really exciting book and dynamic book and I'm, I'm so excited for it. So I'm curious when you when you rewrite something for the artist, do you cut back the dialogue and and boost up the visuals like and draw a big crazy spaceship? <laughs> or, yeah, I mean, or, <laughs> how does that work? Uh, a lot of it is trying to give it more room. I mean, I am, I guess I'll use the word notorious for having pretty dense comics, a lot of panels, a lot of words, and uh, when you have that, that can sometimes not give the the art room to breathe which is a failing that I recognize. <laughs> and so part of it is uh, trying to figure out what's essential, cutting what's not, giving fewer panels per page so there's more room for the art to breathe so we can see those those impacts land, and just um, trying to write it so that when the pencils come back and I see the art, I don't say, oh, that's gorgeous. Oh, I feel so bad that I'm covering up any of that with my word balloons. <laughs> I don't want to hide this art. Uh, so it's it's been a, a fun challenge to sort of uh, level up that way and 
make room for this beautiful, beautiful stuff that Nico's doing. I'm so excited to share it. And it's amazing. It's next level stuff. You tall gingers, <laughs> the TGC, you're you're putting everybody else to shame. Uh, yeah. it's, it's good. We'd love to have you in the club, Ryan, but you know. Only your mustache is kind of in this club. It definitely is kind of in the club. <laughs> it's definitely got some red in it. Uh, oh, boy. All right, uh, Ryan, thank you so much for being on This Week in Marvel. We'll talk to you again soon, hopefully. Take care. Bye. Big thanks to Ryan. I did want to suggest another story. If you want to read Power Pack, if you want a good distillation of what that book was like, issue number 19 of the original run is the Thanksgiving issue. It's got lots of guest stars and you see how the team connected with other superheroes, but it has the kids dealing with homelessness, hunger, loneliness, loss, angst, family, um, so much more. They're kids, but the book didn't talk down to them or to the kids. It was just really wonderful. Yeah. Um, but Ryan, we're not done with our talk on teens. No, no, because that only got us to the sort of 80s. <laughs> so we got to get Yeah, we got to keep going. Yeah. So in the 90s, we got the new warriors. They were actually originally brought together in the pages of Thor by Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends. But the team's ongoing series by Fabian Nicieza, Mark Bagley, later Derek Robertson and Patch Zercher and more. It just it's straight up rules. It's a team of young heroes. They're in their late teens, their early 20s. It's led by Night Thrasher, and they're just out there to bust evil Heads. I love Night Thrasher too because it's so of the time. It's like he's a skateboarder and he's really, really angsty and he's like kind of got this like, like I don't know, rich kitty angst to him. But he's also like, I got a skateboard and kick butts. I don't know. I just love him. He's he's so yeah. feisty. He's great. He's super rich, super smart. His parents were killed when he was younger and he's just on a crusade and he has like a full bodysuit and a skateboard mm -hmm. to fight evil. There's nothing more teenage than that. Right? The first issue opens with him holding Richard Ryder, a.k.a. Nova, by the throat over the ledge of a roof. And he's like, you're Richard Ryder, right? <laughs> I forgot. And, and he's like, what? And he just drops him. And at that point, Richard Ryder didn't have his powers. He wasn't Nova anymore. So he drops him. And right before he's about to crash, his Nova force comes back. And Thresher's like... Cool, I guess that worked. And then they go on to recruit like more of their team. As you got Namorita, who's Namor's cousin, Vance Astrovic, aka Marvel Boy, who would later be named Justice, Firestar, who was originally introduced in the in um, Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends cartoon, Speedball, who yeah. you know it's like oh, who's a Steve Ditko creation. I know something you're gonna love. It's like the '90s looks. Uh, like the fashion is yeah. on point. I really love this team just because to me, uh, especially because Night Thrasher is such a key member of it. You have characters like Speedball that are like a little bit lighter and stuff, but because Night Thrasher was so broody and at the heart of it, there was like a good sort of broody YA vibe to it. One of the things I grabbed here to illustrate why the new warriors are so cool was a couple of quotes from Fabian Nicieza, the writer of like 50 issues of the run. And he said, I really just wanted it to be what it was meant to be, Marvel's version of Teen Titans. I wanted to tell fun, exciting stories grounded in the Marvel Universe using these great untapped characters that had a world of potential. Um, so you can see what his intentions were, but really Fabian and the team were able to turn into a huge sweeping series, very realistic takes on, on major issues alongside all the big superhero action. One of my favorite stories and 
probably one of my favorite alternate reality stories in all of Marvel is called Forever Yesterday. It's a sort of Afro-futurist take on the world where we see the Avengers are a whole different type of team. The world is very different. Um, that's like within the first 20 issues of the series. Uh, one of the main characters on the team is called Silhouette, who's a woman of color. She's disabled. She's got these amazing superpowers. She's just like a total badass. One of the mains in the book is Marvel Boy, who's convicted of manslaughter after accidentally killing his abusive father. It's like they went for some really interesting things and they landed it every single time. Yeah, no, it's so good. Um, Also, you know, I'm obsessed with this next team, which is, of course, The Runaways. I mean, a lot of you probably watched it from Marvel Television. If you didn't read the book, it's so good. They are a group of teens and one little (laughs) preteen who are together, (laughs) who come together because their parents are a bunch of adults who turn out to be super villains. They say, oh maybe we shouldn't align with them uh they answer to some big crazy elder gods um and they're sacrificing people they think maybe that's not the coolest thing to do so they go on the run aka they run away they are runaways uh so carolina dean of course is sort of your girl next door you have nico minoru who is uh witchy vibes uh she she does some crazy ancient magics you have chase stein who is the son of victor stein who go figure in the in the idea of victor stein also being like the name of frankenstein get it kind of guy Uh, anyways (laughs) his father is an inventor he's kind of a jock but he has some of those inventor genes there's gertrude yorks her parents are time travelers molly who her parents are mutants and then there's old lace the psychic dinosaur uh who is linked with gertrude yorks also one of my favorite things gert yorks and chase stein end up dating and if they ended up married she would be gertrude stein there's so many great things in this and also if you read any brian k vaughn books he who wrote this book he always loves for his heroes to have like a giant pet like a giant kick butt pet so of course she has that psychic dinosaur but they've grown and changed so much over the years um so this book was introduced as as kind of a manga style book in our tsunami imprint and it all took place in la so it feels less tied into the marvel new york of things and it felt very separate uh, until they eventually ended up in New York and got to have some interaction with some superheroes. But it kind of goes with this like sentiment of trust no one over 30 from like the 60s, you know, back in the old days, don't trust anyone over 30. So it's kind of that kids versus adults and what adults are okay to trust in this crazy wild world. And in my opinion, this is Marvel's most traditional version of a YA storyline, just like straight up YA. What if the parents were bad and the kids had to be heroes? And But like, can we get along? I don't know. Do I like you? Do you like me? Do we like each other? Do we not like each other? Are we friends today? Are we not friends today? It's great. Yeah, I saw a lot of tweets that came at me, you know, when I put out that tweet where they were like, this was the book that got me into comics. This was a series that like really hooked me or I, I started watching the series, watching the TV show, but then I, you know, the comic has blown me away. So I think it's been really effective in, in getting people excited. Another book that landed a lot of people in the comics and really allowed a lot of fans to see themselves in comics, as we, we heard from some of the tweets earlier, is Young Avengers, you know, starting out with Wiccan and Hulkling. Iron Lad and Patriot forming this team in the wake of the Avengers disassembled story where Scarlet Witch lost control and she basically destroyed the Avengers. Um, they come together to, you know, be heroes. You get a the vibe of this new team of Avengers. They get onto Jessica Jones radar and they piss off Captain America and Iron Man right away, which I love because the two Cap and Iron Man are like one 
you guys are wearing our uniforms and if you're pretending to be Avengers, that's not good. That's our IP, lawyer, lawyer, lawyer. But also, your children, please stop this. Captain America in particular is like, no, no, no. And this was by Alan Heinberg and Jim Chung right at the beginning. And it's like, it was seemingly a team of kid Avengers, but one of the members is actually a young version of Kang. One is a crease girl hybrid. Yep. There's LGBT representation and affection. There are children of Avengers. One takes mutant growth hormone and is a child of a Captain America. This is just like highlights of the first year. And of course, it introduced one of our favorite characters, Kate Bishop. Yeah, who was really the guiding force behind making that team a thing. She was like, hey, I'm just a person without superpowers, but you know what? Let's all be superheroes. What do we say? I want to be a part of it. The boys were kind of off being like, okay, we're trying to be heroes. And she was like, no, 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 we're going to be heroes. Also, Cassie Lang was on that team being a giant girl. Yeah. Uh, and there's a bunch of great runs. I would just say start at the beginning with the first series from 2005. And then you're, you're going to want to read all of it. It's so good. Um, I also really love uh, the Future Foundation. Um, Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four gathers some of the brightest young minds that he could find to think big thoughts and do like lots of cool science school stuff and then just like throw some hands in when they need a little extra help. It's so much fun. Uh, that was launched during Jonathan Hickman's run on Fantastic Four and they got their own book just called FF. Um, I would say dive right into that whole thing because it's so good. It's so delightful too. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm so happy you got excited about Avengers Academy because I did too as I was, you know, reading about like rereading some of these issues. So the Avengers Academy is a school headed up by Hank Pym and it's staffed by numerous Avengers. It was like a place to train a bunch of new young heroes. But once you start digging into it, you've realized this is very different. The potential heroes were actually chosen mm -hmm. by Norman Osborn when he was in control of S.H.I.E.L.D. and a lot of like authoritative stuff in the country. And Norman Osborn was essentially torturing these children. So when Norman is overthrown, Hank Pym and the Avengers decide to take these kids in. They, they want to train them. And they tell these teens that they're going to have the greatest potential to become big heroes. But secretly, or I mean, not so secretly, because it's like revealed right in the first issue to readers and to the mm -hmm. students, because of Osborne's torturing, because of each kid's huge power levels, because they're so dangerous, because of their psych tests, the Avengers actually believe these six teens are at the greatest risk of actually becoming supervillains. So you take the whole idea and you flip it on its head. You then see the kids deal with this reality. They have to like fight this destiny that is laid out before them. Uh, they have to try to be more than what everyone expects them to be. They have to fight like their base instincts. They like, will they become the villains that they think it is bonkers? I know. And this, this group of kids, can they do the right thing in the wake of everything that's been done and is happening to them? Yeah. It's really good. And also, oh, just like hazmat and metal. Uh, <laughs> I can't. No. no spoilers, but I love them. Oh, boy. I, uh, it's a lot of yeah. feelings. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. How about Secret Warriors? I love this. This is like the shield version of a teen team. They're Nick Fury's caterpillars. Uh, Fury, being the paranoid but very tricksy smart man that he is, has been keeping files of kids and young adults that he thinks has potential to, you know, be his next round of Avengers or his next elite shield team. So he calls them his caterpillars because someday they might 
go through a chrysalis and become very powerful superhero butterflies. Uh, so it started with Daisy Johnson, aka Quake, and then she enlisted the help of other caterpillars to transform. Uh, so they planned and trained in secret, unknown to the superhero community, of course, because Fury loves his secrets and trusts nobody. And for good reason. Fury was prepping for something very big and very bad, which was happening with the Skrull secret invasion. So he needed to have this um, secret team so it included Hellfire, Stonewall, Yo-Yo, who we all know and love from Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Quake, also from the show, uh, Druid, and Phobos. They all made their big debut during the war with the Skrulls and ended up saving countless lives. There are two major things that help make this team and series really, really unique, aside from them working for Fury, which is that they're being kept underground and they are facing incredible, crazy danger. There's also like a... You know, because we're in the wake of the scroll secret invasion, there's a lot of trust issues. And also in S.H.I.E.L.D., there's always a lot of trust issues because it's like who's playing who? What is the espionage angle? Can you trust another spy? So there is a lot of that. And also they're very young and they don't really know their ability, maturity yet. So there's a lot of sort of intrigue all the time. All of the caterpillars we see in the series are all children or relatives of super beings, uh, AKA Mr. Hyde and Quake, Dr. Druid and Druid, uh, Absorbing Man, the Griffin, Ares, and the um, Phantom Rider, who we do not like. No, bad news. We do not like the Phantom Rider. He is a very bad villain. And Hellfire and Quake have a moment. You guys, <laughs> I'm here for the romance and I will tell you, <laughs> Who's the OTP couple of any teen series? Uh, if you want to dig in, of course, there's the main Secret Warrior series that started in 2009, but issues 13 and 18 of the Mighty Avengers series from that started in 2007 actually introduce the the Caterpillars, the team, the Daisy Johnson of it all. Those are really important for like setting everything up too. Let's talk about like the main teen team going right now, which is the champions. And originally they were formed. Aww. Yeah, they get an awe. They were formed in the aftermath of the second superhuman civil war formed by Ms. Marvel, Miles Morales, Nova, Viv Vision, and Amadeus Cho. But really they just like, they saw all the adults be total turds and everybody was losing faith in the superheroes. <laughs> and so they were like, we want to prove that our generation of superheroes can and will be better. So they wanted to help people. They wanted to be inspirations. They wanted to show that like the heroes that the Avengers should be is who the champions would be. And they did a great job of like expanding their roster, hugely bringing teen heroes from around the globe. They didn't have adult mentors. They just had big goals. They wanted, they had like huge positivity and hope and like the idea of potential for greatness. Unfortunately, as we mentioned, we've seen in the pages of Outlawed, not everything goes according to plan. And so we have a new champions book on the horizon. I, I love the champions book. It's so delightful. I think this is like a very nice mixture between sort of a standard kind of superhero teen team book, but also kind of a comedy book. There's just like everybody has like a fun little character niche. And also, if you guys want to know what's going on moving forward in all of the teen team books, I really recommend reading Outlawed, number one. It's available now to read. It's it's a great read, and it's going to give you so much insight into everything that's happening in all them teen books. Yeah. Fui, fui, fui. Fui, fui, fui. Who's your favorite? If you didn't already chime in uh, on the Twitter that we've seen, let us know. But I think we even have a better question of the week because next week we have Mr. Chris Claremont coming on the show 
and he's going to talk about a whole bunch of cool stuff. Uh, he wrote many teen teams. He wrote, of course, New Mutants. He wrote X-Men for many, many, many years. Uh, we're going to be talking to him about um, the all-new, all-different X-Men, about God Loves, Man Kills, and plenty more. What is your favorite Chris Claremont Marvel story? Let us know. Use hashtag This Week in Marvel. You can tweet at us at Lorraine Sink at Agent M. You can email us at twimpodcast at marvel.com. And of course, hit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. We have some tweets and goodness here from our community. We asked you guys, who was your favorite Marvel teen team? And you guys had a bunch of answers. Here's our first one. Yeah, this one comes from Muppet Treasure Jared at at I Snow Nothing. Love those names. He says, hard to narrow down my favorite young Marvel team. With Power Pack, New Warriors, and Runaways, it's hard to cut. But it's a tie between the New Mutants, Generation X, and Young Avengers. An honorable mention to the Children of the Atom, which I'm really psyched for. We didn't even talk about Children of the Atom, which is another new book with young heroes that's coming in uh, all the X-Men books. Um, there's so much cool stuff happening right now. Zach L at Zachly72 said, Generation X, they seem more like real teenagers with their bickering and self-esteem and body image issues. And also, shout out Gen X, baby. <laughs> I, I don't quite make it in there. I'm almost there. Yeah, we're, we're a little We're behind. like on the cusp. We're in the millennial. Yeah, we're, we fall into the millennial bucket, but we feel like Gen X, I think is the, how... I would probably categorize myself. I looked up to Gen X, mm. you know, like I watched all their movies and all of that. So I felt like, you know, someday I'll be big and I'll be Gen Aww. X. Uh, John at <laughs> just John says power pack. What other team of super kids are not only siblings, but have actual comic creators as their parents. Yeah. I, I really hope this shines a light on power pack. This talk for a lot of listeners, because that book rules. Can I tell you the sweetest story about my husband? Yes. When he was a, a sweet baby boy, he went to the comic book shop and he saw Power Pack number one and he was like, this is going to be the biggest comic ever. And he bought like a bunch of copies and he still has them. I just find it very sweet that he was like, this is going to put me through college. <laughs> <laughs> these, power, these power packs. All right. Uh, next up, Joshua David at Oh God, the Pandas uh, said... The Young Avengers. I still remember finding a copy of the first omnibus in my school library. Billy was the first time I ever saw myself in a comic book. Oh, that's so sweet. That's perfect. I I mean, that Young Avengers run with Wiccan and Hulkling and Kate Bishop and Novar. And oh, my God, it's so good. And Kid Loki showing up. Oh, my God. It's so, 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 so good. Yeah. And then Questmaster Grayson at Call Me Napkins just chimed in and seconded that saying, so on board with Young Avengers, a young queer group of rebels fighting the good fight. Count me in. Oh, and America Chavez. Heck yeah. Oh, so good. All right. Sheep A Mech at Chef underscore West says Avengers Academy is sadly forgotten these days. The mission was to train young damage heroes to truly be the next generation of Avengers, despite their abusive past. And it felt like a success. You saw the young and old heroes, especially Hank Pym at their best. Um, and then, and then sadness, there's a lot of sadness, but also <laughs> some good shipping. Yeah. Some good, some good romance in that book. Yeah. Oh, oh. the important stuff you guys. Thanks to everybody who tweeted us and sent us your messages. Yeah, and um, we'll put the tweet that I put out 
in the show notes so that you can see all the amazing responses to that. Um, there were some really great replies. We couldn't get to all of them because it was just so many awesome uh, tweets from you guys. Of course, this episode of This Week in Marvel was produced by Percy of Berlin, Zachary Goldberg, Lauren Sink, and Ryan Panagos. Our audio development manager is Brad Barton, and Jill Dwoof is our director of audio. Big special thanks to Teen Heroes. Would you like to be a teen hero? Email us at getoffmylawn at yourmomshouse.net.org.com backslash upside g-o-m-l slash net dot com. <laughs> I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. This is Marvel. Your universe.